0: On this week's episode, Lee Griffin teaches Scott and I a new word. So what I would say is I used to think about the, the machismo like that as well. Just like machismo, I think is what they say. I don't know. but Machismo? Like, oh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I think so. I think that, yeah, machismo.
1: Scott, Boris expresses his immense respect for the future
0: accountants of America. All I want to do is not break it, break any regulations. I try to pretend like the FAA is in the airplane whenever I'm flying and it's distracting. It's distracting sometimes. And if I try to like not pay attention to one ray, I try to pretend like the FAA doesn't exist when I'm flying. I get that, but your <laughs> livelihood doesn't depend on it.
1: And I discuss unique ideas to improve the show. I, I'd like to do that more, but that would involve some more show prep, which would right.
0: Don't. Right.
1: Um, Actual show prep, not just pounding beers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Welcome to the Far End Podcast. This week we are covering the five hazardous attitudes, which is sure to be interesting. I'm going through my uh, flight instructor renewal course, so I'm finding all sorts of weird new topic ideas based on what I'm learning uh, in that every other year course I got to take. And so I thought this was a good one since I studied this one today. And I uh, got a hundred percent on the test, I might add. That makes you an uh, expert. That does almost make me an expert on this topic. I uh the ten ten question quiz.
2: <laughs> ten out of ten. Good to go. I got
1: I got PhD. ten out of ten. Yep. <laughs> so um I'm almost expert status on this one.
0: I uh, would say you are. Not even yeah. almost, you are. I so. I would say so.
1: Yeah, we'll jump. We'll jump right into uh the first one. And there's so basically I'm I'm going this out of the um the pilot's handbook of aeronautical knowledge here. So this is a uh, straight from the FAA. I got overall this is really good information. These are this is good concepts, but I have some issues. I know I had some issues and I had almost all of these, I think, um, when I was younger flying. Uh and I have some ideas about Maybe what would have made me smarter about all of them, but maybe we'll get into that as we as we go. Uh, The first one of the five is anti-authority. Scott Boris.
0: Anti-authority. I like Scott has all of these at every minute of the day. He's a walking, talking hazardous attitude. Hazardous attitude. Yeah. Every one of them. I'm thinking that. All the time.
2: Oh God, anti-authority, Scott. So anti. What 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 am I what, what about it? What's the question? Uh, all right, I'll read.
1: I'll I'll read the FA's explanation of it.
0: No, yeah. What does it mean? Let's see what Scott has. What does anti-authority
2: mean? Yeah, what's it? Yeah, it means I do what I want. I do what I want.
0: Nailed it. You don't tell yep. me what to do, goddammit.
2: Right.
1: Uh, yep. The FA's the quote is, don't tell me. That's the, exa- it's government examples, so it's, yeah. Yeah. They, they can be brutal. Uh, it says, this attitude is found in people who do not like anyone telling them what to do. In a sense, they are saying, quote, no one can tell me what to do, end quote. They may be resentful of having someone tell them what to do, or may regard rules, regulations, and procedures as silly or unnecessary. However, it is always your prerogative to question authority if you feel it is an error. This is an amazing statement coming from a federal document.
2: What if it's? What if it's always an error? <laughs> Isn't it always your duty to question it then?
1: <laughs> so Scott focuses right on the last, the last yeah. sentence there,
2: Lee. Yeah, I mean, I. I feel like most of the time it's probably an error. In the nicest way
0: that I can, it's just this is just one this another element of learning to fly that just takes time to understand. You have to have a, a, a good grasp on all of the regulations and kind of your operating envelope, and then you'll know what's an error and what's not.
1: Yeah, I would say that. That's um, a good way to put it. Scott, do you do you feel like you have this? I've I've certainly had this anti-authority uh, various points during my aviation. Yeah. Oh,
2: most of the time,
1: I feel in like the I airplane
0: had, in the yeah. airplane
1: <laughs> most of the time.
0: Most of the time, yeah. <laughs> Scott Scott has yeah. it right now. I mean, but <laughs> we mean in the airplane.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, so, sometimes I don't know. I mean, I've never had like a problem doing with with atc tells me
0: to do but you know sometimes i just want to do what i want to do you know like well what if it's not atc though like what if it's a regulation that you know like let's say what if i want to fly at treetop level and just cruise around and look at things it's hard to look at things at treetop level at 100 knots
2: not that i've ever done that but if i wanted to do that
0: yeah no i know it's an example it's
2: an example yeah like, what if you decide you want to fly around the lake at very low altitudes, maybe... Well, it's probably legal. Maybe fly over top of some
0: boats or something. Maybe you fly over some boats. Well, it might be legal. <laughs> yeah, could could be legal. It just depends on how far away you are. <laughs> You're 500 feet. Yeah, 500 yeah. feet. Yeah.
1: It doesn't have to be altitude either. You just got
2: 500 feet away from the boat. What if it's five, more yeah. like five inches?
0: Well, you know, I don't know what kind of people are doing that stuff, but...
2: Right, um, right. Yes,
1: anti-authority. We joke around about it. and This this podcast jokes around about this stuff. This is serious, though. There, there's a difference, I think. We don't have as much of it as we got older and seen more stuff as we used to. Uh, you especially, Lee, just, you've, you're around the professional aspect of aviation. Where Scott and I just fly less and less as the years go on, because we're too afraid to do many th- things anymore in the airplane.
0: Well, that definitely sucks some of the fun out of it. Growing up definitely sucks some of the fun out of it.
1: Yes, but it, we've gotten lucky on some stuff, though. Too, though, I would say.
0: A hundred percent. I mean, you, 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 you're growing in your learning stages of anything new. You. See your errors, hopefully you live through them and you learn from them and you grow and then eventually you cultivate a you know a healthier respect for you know all of these hazardous attitudes you know and their antidotes which we'll talk about and we haven't if anybody says they haven't experienced you know this one or any of these, I would have to say they're probably lying you know you this is an active you have to actively fight all of these attitudes all the time to a greater or lesser extent, yeah we see that at the professional level I see it every day.
1: And there's there's risk aversion and stuff we there's so much stuff here I, who knows where this will go. Yeah. Um, let's go. Let's Whatever go. we yeah, I'll listen to the and edit and whatever we don't cover which is I'm sure is going to be a bunch of stuff we can just make our own episodes at some point because there's just so much conversation in this realm. So yeah, that, I I mean I've had anti-authority. Um
0: what, what would you say could you kind of, you know, how, how would you describe your experience? I mean, or experiences you've seen. Uh, I don't want it to be incriminating, but.
1: No, it, I mean, anything stupid I did is I haven't flown for so long. It's statute of limitations apply. So. But I, I don't have any concrete examples anyway, but it's just more of like me taking every single reg. And like when I'm learning about it. I, I want to. I'm the type of person I want to know. Okay, why are we doing it that way? Why does that rule exist? Yeah, you know what yeah. caused that rule? You know wh- what is that preventing? I, I'm just. I'm not the type of person you can be like. Oh, this is the rule, and I'm just like I want way more information. Yes, um, is my default thought process when I learn a new rule.
0: Yes, like, I why? have to
1: have. I why? have to have it explained to me. You know why do we do this rule? Which we have failed to do that. I, I'd like to do that more, but that would involve some more show prep, which we right. Right. Um, actual show prep, not just pounding beers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's, yeah, it's just me. I'm questioning. I'm like that last line. Like that's the one Scott gravitated to, to as well. It's like, I, I want to know why. And I think part of me not having this anti-authority thing is I've just, observed stuff and seen a lot of stuff and you know becoming a cfi is huge obviously you go through a lot of stuff you learn a just ton of stuff going through that cfi training uh, of why a lot of these things are taught this way and done this way uh, when you're learning it at that teaching level and that has quenched my thirst for a lot of the whys so yeah, I mean, but
0: it took you all the way to cfi And that's something I found exactly that you're echoing my exact experience. You had to go all the way to CFI till some of these whys start getting answered.
1: Exactly. Which is, it's,
0: that's another why
1: it's frustrating. Why is, yeah. Why is the aviation instruction and aviation industry? Not like I'm learning stuff in CFI. I'm like, why didn't, why wasn't I learning this stuff all the way through? This is some of the crazy good information. Yeah. And, And, like I wasn't exposed to it and it's not a knock on any of my many different instructors and schools and stuff that I've had throughout my aviation career. I think that's generally like, oh, you don't really need to know this until you're at the CFI level. It's like, well, yeah, some people like me, and I know you guys are similar. It's like, I wanna know I wanna know all that stuff for like while I'm learning solo like stuff, you know, lay it on me. I'm yeah. curious about that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I think, and I think you kind of described like a learning uh, mentality about it, where you're—I qu- don't want to say questioning, because there, maybe there's a negative connotation to that word—but you're you're in- you're inquisitive about the nature of a regulation. Like, so that's the why, and when you get those answers, it gives you a better, a deeper understanding which means you know it better and you're more likely to commit it to memory as part of kind of like your foundation, which I think is important when you're, you know, would would you agree? What do you, I mean, what do you, does that make any sense? That's just, yeah, it's dead
1: on. I just, I don't, I never, I've, I've done a few ba- annual flight reviews and stuff and just little lessons for Scott for like commercial requirements and stuff throughout the years. But I, I don't base, I basically just don't use my CFI. Um, I have one. I just I don't use it, and but even though I don't use it as a CFI, that's changed how I fly incredibly. Going through that process of getting that rating, and you know prepping for those tests and check rides, and that just whole experience, I just made me such a better pilot from just getting my CFI. And I'm sure if I sure if I used it and actually taught people, it'd be you know 10, 20x that, which you can speak to once you're actually teaching people.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, they always say, you know, every every certificate I ever got, that's one of the things the instructor, recommending the instructor, or, you know, some type of mentor would always say is you have that's a license to learn. But they said that about the private, <laughs> and then they said that about the commercial, and then they said about the CFI, and then they said about the ATP. So I have the highest certification level you can get, and we still say that, and it's still true. And my question goes back to why. I mean, obviously, you can't inundate uh, a 17 year old kid with information that we are kind of talking about. It's just too much. But I, I, how, I don't know how much the instructors maybe, you know, I don't know what it is th- that makes it where we get kind of these gaps in in knowledge. But look at the regulations which we've covered that uh, about getting a, a license. You know, it's always about, oh, I soloed in 10 hours or I got my certificate in the minimum amount. Well, okay, good for you. But how did you get all this knowledge transfer in 40 hours or whatever it is for your certificate you're getting? That's it's not possible to transfer this this much knowledge. You and I may have had the questions. We all may have had the questions. We may have wanted it. We may have been able to handle it, but the instructor was like, okay, I, you know, yeah, you're pretty intelligent. You can probably handle this. We can have this in depth conversation, but I just really want you to get your solo cross country done today. How about that? So, I mean, I get that aspect of it too, because I've been on the other side of the table where I am just trying to get somebody their rating. And I, I try to give them as much as you can, but keep your eye on the prize and the prize is not to have an ATP candidate for their private pilot check ride.
1: Yeah, that, that is true. Got, it's only, which makes it tough.
0: It's only so much you can do. And I mean, well, and I mean, how far down the rabbit hole do you go with somebody? You know, you have all walks of life coming in there and all ages and, and different backgrounds and all these things. And, they come in wanting a, a certain thing, but then when you you know try to you know maybe put their feet to the fire about a certain thing or or get them go go down a rabbit hole, like I said, how deep do you go? Like how much knowledge? I how, how you you deviate from the goal, and yeah, you're giving them stuff that will benefit them maybe down the road or or whatever, in advanced concepts or advanced you know thought process type type things. What does that do for them as far as working on the rating they're on? Maybe very, very little. Not wasted.
1: Yeah, it'll serve them good in the
0: long run, but
1: you could be delaying some stuff to get them, like you said, to the next rating that they're trying to go for and paying by the hour to, to get. It's, um, I think it's a little bit too that becoming a pilot isn't something you... It is something you learn, but it's more so something you become. It's just something that like it's a never ending learning process. Yes. And you you don't know what you don't know. And I think yes. that when I was I got to the point I don't know when it happened. It was probably in like my late twenties. Oh, mind you, I started flying when I was sixteen, so this is <laughs> it took a while. Um it it's just coming to the realization, and this is when I was doing my CFI it really um which that was, it was my early twenties doing that, but I don't know when this happened. I feel like it might've been CFI stuff. Maybe it wasn't that long. It took me to learn this, but it's amazing. When I went through the CFI course, I realized, holy cow, there is a ton of info that I didn't know that I didn't even know. Like I didn't know.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Like it's not a, it's not a shortcoming of the, you know the private pilot's license the instrument rating the commercial that i had up until that point it's just there's stuff with those ratings you got to focus on and there's this whole body of information beyond ratings that you could never cram into ratings that's just part of becoming a pilot
2: yeah, yeah. i i feel like i pretty much know the bare minimum of what you would need to know to be able to fly an airplane <laughs> if you were to look at the the uh,
0: Sorry.
2: No, I I know I know more than that. I'm just saying, like I I should know more than what I do know.
0: Well, I'm gonna pat you on the back here. I would say if you were to crack open the far aim, maybe the percentage of regs you could regurgitate may not be like representative of your knowledge content. If that makes any sense. Yeah. You might not like ninety-one one fifty-five. Which the only reason I remember that is because we just covered it a little bit ago, but. Your common sense, these regulations are basically building a common sense, you know, concept. Yeah. You have that. And some people have more of that than others. And the regulations are there to, tr- you know, try and funnel you towards safety. You have that kind of built in. Some people do, some people don't. The regulations are there as a backstop. You, you know, you have good stick and rotor skills. You have good common sense. You know, a good percentage of the regulations that apply to you between those three things. That's safety. Some people may have almost no stick and rudder skills. It's all, you know, this is this balancing act. You know, some people have almost no stick and rudder skills, but the regulations keep them out of trouble. You know, as long as it always equals hundred, you're safe, you know, or 98%, you yeah. know, you're, you're safe. You know, your columns may be a little bit different from somebody else's, but your outcome is still safe. So, I would just add on to that: the
1: you not only need the stick and rudder skills; it's aeronautical, like the, making good choices, which they call aeronautical decision making, is the uh, government translation that adds. And you need you need both. It's a balance. It's a balance between those two,
0: um, which I think is well. That's what I should have said. I said kept saying common sense, but that's what I meant. You're one hundred percent right. That's what I meant.
1: That's the balance of it's the balance of it. And I was I'm, like, as I mentioned um, previously, I'm currently going through my flight instructor renewal uh, certification stuff. And so this is fresh in my mind. I was looking at some of the dates because there was links and stuff to a lot of the government documents of what, how they want you to do stuff with the aeronautical decision-making. And a lot of those documents, the the bulk that I've seen were dated So they haven't been updated in a while. They're dated like two thousand seven. Yeah. So I mean, two thousand seven. If that's when they're releasing the information, I mean, I was working on inst. I was finishing up instrument rating, like into commercial stuff, two thousand seven. You know what I mean? And then going shortly after that through the CFI stuff. I don't even think we. Yeah, I don't even think we got any of that curriculum.
0: No, I don't know. In terms of aeronautical decision making,
1: yeah, the like the structured approach that has been added to the system since we learned how to fly, uh, uh, like adding that to the curriculum in addition to the stick and rudder skills, which is basically what this is. Kind of these five hazardous attitudes play right into the. I mean, teaching aeronautical decision making and making people aware that this these are phenomenon in human psyche.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I I don't know really when I started. I mean, I, I think it was really the airlines is when I started really thinking in that language of aeronautical decision making. So that was 2013 or so. Okay. Doesn't mean it wasn't like happening in the background per se. And, you know, maybe for... Maybe at a slight uh, deficit, if you will, you know, but um some of those things you know aeronautical decision making is kind of an acquired skill, and I think since then the f a s tried to make great strides towards making it not so much an acquired skill but a you know something you're that, that is almost at the forefront of your training, yeah, which is something I talk about kind of a lot. Maybe I don't term it aeronautical decision making here, but conservatism in the cockpit, yeah.
1: The same same concept. We just use our own words. Um, all right, let's jump to number two on the hazardous attitude list: impulsivity, which is the uh, or no the um, the antidote, the anti-authority antidote. This is the part that just it drives me nuts, and make when I was younger, makes me want to just disregard all this stuff. When I heard this type of thing, was follow the rules. They're usually right. Like that's the answer in this chart they have and i I don't bl- i believe this is the most current pilots handbook of aeronautical knowledge I don't think they've made a new one since 2016 when this was released uh but it, I doubt this kind of stuff has changed if they have it's just it, it just irks me I, I, I don't know I, I hate to I hate to complain without a solution but like it's just so corny it just makes me want to not pay attention to any of it even though you should pay attention to it like there's there's basis in why they're they're promoting this.
0: But, I mean, I guess if you were to isolate, but see, you're looking at it, I, or maybe you are, but if I may present a, you know, kind of a scenario here. If we think of all the rules and all the things we think about in life, that there is the man telling us what to do. And in general, a lot of times I would say that this anti-authority concept I pretty well agree with but somehow when I get into my professional you know role or in in aviation I tend to start skewing more and more conservative. I don't know why that is, but the rules are you know a lot of people would say and I hate this cliche but the rules are written in blood. Well yeah they are and I think common sense can take care of a lot of that. There are a lot of risk takers out there which kind of attracts people who want to learn to fly. So it kind of makes it it, it makes it a lopsided equation when you talk about risk and how the statistics bear out certain things. So, you know, rules are written, but they're kind of there for the lowest common denominator of people who, you know, want to take, uh, you know, they were kind of predisposed to taking risk. And that's what I think.
1: Yeah. The, the pilot population in general is more predisposed to this type of thinking just because the type of people who are motivated and go out and become pilots.
2: Probably. If you're, if- if you're an extremely cautious, like nervous or timid person, you're probably not gonna be a pilot anyway. So exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's probably a stupid question. Is this is this part of the, the far or the aim?
0: I don't think it's in any either of them.
2: This is not
1: um I don't I don't believe it's in either. I'm just I'm going through That's my It's not in either one
2: of them. Okay. No
1: flight instructor stuff. Yeah. And, so it's
2: really, uh, it's really just a bunch of suggestions.
1: It's Pilots' Handbook of aeronautics. Well, uh It's like the second chapter after they uh, brag
2: about how they started
0: the FAA. This information is derived from, like, you know, um, human resources departments. Because this is, I mean, if you think about it, all of these same attitudes apply to, like, working with other people, coworkers, <laughs> or you know, most things. If you really think about it, there's always an instance where this can apply somewhere else in your life. Yeah. Too. So I don't know where, where what's driven it, what's grouped them together, but obviously they apply to aviation too.
1: Yeah, the the biggest example that I've gone through in my life where I the aviation community does this better than them. Uh, as far as the risk management and teaching it and stuff is scuba diving. You've got a lot of ton of risk that you got to manage for dives and everything that we do. Um, and I, I take a lot of the stuff I've learned in flying and that it helps me tremendously when I'm under the water, I like dealing with stuff and evaluating planning dives, assessing the risks, you know, okay, we're going to go to do this. You know, how many dives have I done in the last six months, you know, my dive buddy, how many dives has he or she done in the last six months? You know, it's this how far pushing the envelope is this dive, and can we can we handle it? But it's similar with with flying.
0: You know what I mean? I love that. Absolutely. You're yeah, you're assessing the risk.
1: Yeah. The two hobbies are very similar um, in a lot of ways. But anyway, we'll start mm-hmm. with uh, number two: impulsivity, which is do it quickly. Uh, this is the attitude of people who frequently feel the need to do something, anything immediately. They do not stop to think about what they are about to do. They do not select the best alternative and they do the first thing that comes to mind. This is one I personally am less susceptible to. And I think Scott is less susceptible to as well. <laughs> just because <Yeah>. <laughs> part of that is how, like our purpose of flying is less utilitarian and more for just the fun of flying. So there's, right. we're not very often in a situation. Like if the conditions aren't great, we're just, we just call the flight. Cause right. And if, if something's not going, like we have no desire to do anything fast. Like we're well, one fifty like, pilots, you know?
2: Yeah. Like back in the day when I was more comfortable with flying, cause I did less. We'd just jump in and fly whenever, all the time. Like, and I was a little more impulsive, but now it's like a little more cautious. But even back in the day, it's like, I never,
1: I, I don't know. Like, I always like was thinking about something I want to do with the plane. Some point that week, very rarely would I be like, Oh man, the weather's nice. Like, let's just go where it's like sometimes when the weather was bad, like wintertime, we wouldn't get that many opportunities. Like I'd have like, all right, whenever there is a nice day, I'm going to do this because that's what I feel like doing. And yeah. so when that nice day came, I go do it. I just, I don't know. And then if there's like stuff happening, that's out of plan. I just, I, I got this. I remember I had a 10 foot inflatable boat and, um, I was, I was learning to run it. I was like 10 years old and, uh, we we're coming into the on river I was with either my dad or, or one of my uncles who was just t- helping me learn how to run the boat. They weren't quite ready to hand it over to a 10-year-old yet without some more guidance. And uh, so we're coming back in the on River. And this is back when there was a lot of ore freighters coming in and out. It's not so much today like it used to be. And we were coming in the river that thing's slowly coming in, but it's coming that those don't move they got mom- serious momentum when they're coming in' they're giant freighters full of ore, iron
2: ore, so they yeah they're like anywhere from like six to hundred foot to a thousand foot freighters yeah iron ore they're big yeah.
1: and they, yeah they come in back in the day when they come in the Heron River they're coming in, and yeah. so we, we're sneaking in in front of it, and just the engine just stopped. And uh, I don't think either my dad or my uncle knew what had happened either. I was just kind of in a panic trying to restart. It was a pull start motor. So you just got to crank on it and uh, crank on the, um, you know, the, the, ro- the handle with the rope to, to get it going again. And so I'm going, I'm going. It's like panicking. It probably wasn't that dire. But when you're 10 years old and you're in a situation like that, it's like a dire situation. So my memory of it's probably different than, you know, uh, whoever was with me. What it
2: actually was,
1: yeah. Yeah, but basically I got this freighter barreling down at me and my freaking boat's not starting. So I was basically in this just panic trying to rush and start the motor. And uh, like I said, my dad, I forget which one it was. They basically just like, hey, calm down. I'm like, no, we got to get Like They're just like, calm down. They're just sitting there totally calm and they're like, What are you doing? Like, you're just panicking. This isn't helping the situation at all. It's not starting. Calm down. Let's think it through a second. What's going on here? Why isn't it starting? And then, uh, so I'm kind of like, I start looking at stuff in the boat and then I, f- I figured out myself that um, once I had calmed down and I wasn't in a rush, even though it was an urgent situation. Uh, I noticed the uh, the gas line had come unhooked from the fuel tank, up up under the front seat. So I just quick connect, quicksilver, quick connects. I'm sure there's somebody out there listening who knows what I'm talking about. Um, so push that back in, prime the ball, got fuel back to the motor, fired right up. And it's like that has stuck with me through like my whole life in like crazy situations. Where just I'm a lot calmer person now because of that one lesson back when I was like 10 years old on the Huron River in an inflatable boat with a freighter. And so I think that's kind of the do-it-quickly impulsiveness. Is that what they're trying to get at here, Lee, in this?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a lot of elements. You know, you guys, you first started talking about, you know, maybe the impulsivity of maybe I need to take off now. Well, where I, my mind automatically goes to something. I'm already in flight. Something happens. and it's always like nothing. This is always said to me. Nothing happens in 0.2 seconds, because if you do these knee jerk reactions to things, a lot of times your first move may be incorrect. You know, it would be right for ninety percent of the, the the situations that arise, but this one, you know, this this ten percent or you know this small possible uh, thing that happened, it would be the wrong move. So you need to assess what's happening before you start. You know, before you really get into action. And and I would say that. So, you know, your story there. One thing I will I will say, and I see things like this commonly in the multi-crew environment, because we're always two pilots. The guy who has less to do, it is always easier. So if you're the pilot monitoring in this case, They are always able, and this is why we have two pilots. I'm not knocking anybody, but they are always easier to point out, hey, what about that? They're freed up. Their faculties are freed up to address a situation. I don't want to say that you did anything wrong or your uncle or dad did anything wrong in this scenario, but you were already doing one thing, and they were able to see that what you were doing wasn't working. If they were in that boat, By themselves, they may have been doing what you were doing without a second set of eyes to say, hey, let's take a breath, that you were handling something, an aspect of the problem, which freed them up to look at the bigger picture. And so I see that commonly in the multi-crew environment. You get kind of focused on this happened. This is what I can do right now to, to kind of keep the situation under control or address what I think I can. But you addressing that allows the other individual present to, to look at the big picture, think a little bit more scientifically or logically about the big picture and go through kind of a quick, uh, the short list of, of process of elimination. And that's, what I think probably happened with your thing. I don't know how close the freighter was. It may have been close, to, it may have been way further than you thought. They may have overemphasized the importance of, or you know, the the maybe, and I know I've I've done this to students when I've taught them. You overemphasize maybe the the negatives or the 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 um the impact of a certain factor. You overemphasize it to prove a point. So then, when that element really comes into play, that factor really comes into play. They go a certain route the other way, and they freak out about it. When it, you know, they had time to go a different direction, and they had time to go through a process they didn't think they had because you had overemphasized the importance of that factor, how critical it was, the proximity of it to you or the time frame that you have to address it. And then they go the other direction and they overreact and they go into a panic. I've done that. I've been there myself. It's been done to me. I have done it to people. It will happen again. That, that's, that's my take on it. I don't know if any of that made sense, but
1: no, it was it made perfect sense. I think in my personal story, they, they knew what was going on. They're, using it as kind of a lesson.
0: They were watching this thing come untouched, come unattached. Um,
1: I don't, th- probably not that because the boat was new and we were still figuring out that that would be a, a semi-common occurrence uh, through the, uh, the way that boat was set up. But I just knowing the two of them, you know, obviously my whole life, they just never, they're not pilots, but they, neither one of them, Reacts. They're like dead calm no matter the situation, whether it's running speedboats, you know, running performance cars, uh, business situations. They're just, they're just dead calm always. So, uh, any little bit of that comes from them uh, that I have,
0: which is good.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a handy trait. It's kind of like, um, it's just kind of the playing it cool mentality it's like even when like panic is not an option when you're in charge of running an aircraft and stuff's starting to go wrong. that's what's gonna get you killed. you know that's why the the stereotypical airline pilot it's just some calm like no matter what's going on, calm thinking through trying to do stuff logically, you know same thing with like the you know astronauts it's kind of that same mentality they're just dead. What was the apollo mission something went wrong and everything?
0: Apollo oh, 13. I, I don't know.
1: No, there was yeah, during I, the moon I, landing, some some code came up and they're just dead calm when they're like telling control about it.
0: Well, that's one thing like I've seen and it it's is learn off I think sometimes is like if like I don't have an engine on the fire or something, I pretty much don't really care for the most part. In like little things, like don't sweat the small stuff. Which my demeanor typically is not like that, but I mean, I don't know, is isolated instances. But yeah, I mean, hundred percent. I mean, there's things that you don't necessarily see when you're in the moment, and you're the one to expect to address something instantaneously. There is no, there's likely no need for instantaneous response. That's one and two. If that is your goal. To be Johnny on the spot, correct it with the first possible solution. Well, I guess that, that actually is the outcome, is you do want to you do want to go with the first workable solution, but you don't want to see how fast you can get there because you'll miss something. And that's I, I think that's that's an important thing. Nothing happens in 0.2 seconds. Take your time because it's it's nothing catastrophic. It's it like for us, we're talking about an airplane. If an engine fails, okay if you only have one engine and the engine fails there are options we train for that that's 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 kind of the point i think we train we train for those emergencies
1: not being impulsive cool and collective just having that demeanor in the outset that's usually going to result in you figuring out the solution faster anyway so the guy you see that's johnny on the spot he's probably johnny on the spot because He's not trying to react as fast as he can. He's just staying calm, keeping his wits about him or her, you know, dealing with the situation, and then that solution is going to come to you a lot faster when you're not panicking. Does
0: that make sense? Yeah, 100%. I agree with that wholeheartedly.
1: Mr. Boris, before we move... Oh, yeah, the FAA's antidote is not so fast. Think first. I'll throw that in there, even though it irks me, because it's like... (sighs) That that's their five word solution that's going to solve all the problems. <laughs> well, I mean, you know? we uh, yeah, I mean, I we digress. beat it to death.
0: Yeah. yeah, we beat it to death. I think we pretty much said that. Yeah, we 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 covered that. But that's good training, though. I think good training is what would undermine. You know, what would good training is what replaces that knee jerk reaction.
1: One hundred percent, yeah. Know knowing your
0: airplane, I can't know an airplane though. That, that's what—that's that, one thing that drives me nuts. I generalities. I know generalities. There's too many airplanes bouncing around inside my head. Like I'll like something will come up. Oh, what's the limitation on this? And I just spit out some. That's from like two airplanes ago. Like I can't keep all this stuff straight. I got four, four, and there's people with more than that floating around than me. I don't know how they do it. I can't do it. Yeah. I got to look at big picture stuff. I can't look at the super nuanced stuff.
1: I can forget things is my talent with that. So once I'm not flying the airplane anymore, like I owned a 150 is owned half. I had, was a partnership with the, um, but I knew that plane left and right. I haven't flown a 150 for over 10 years now, I think. And I couldn't tell you hardly anything. I could probably jump in it and fly it safely, just because it's the one I it's the oh, yeah. make a model I learned in. But I couldn't tell you any of these speeds or any anything anymore. I'd have to really think yeah, about you everything. Could probably,
2: you could get pretty roughly close to what they are, though. I'm sure. Yeah, and
1: I I, I, I take that That's back. Anything. I've been in yours, Scott. So I. I yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, I've been,
2: you, you might not know the exact number, but you, I, I bet you could get pretty damn close.
1: I it's all by feel at that point. And I I take well, that back. Yeah. I have flown yours yeah. a little bit over the yeah. years since I sold mine, but yeah. not very much. Like when I think of an airplane now, even though I love the 150 so much more, most of my mindsets, the the, the 172. Or I have post-traumatic stress syndrome from banner towing capable super cubs is what a lot of I should probably get a therapist. But that's another conversation for another day. Um invulnerability is the uh is the number 3 which is this is the it won't happen to me. That that's that's not uh that that's egregious. Probably, it doesn't irk me as much as the others.
2: That's, that's probably pretty a pretty common feeling though I feel like. I mean,
0: yeah, it won't happen I to me. I feel that way a lot of times. Yeah. 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 Think about the beach in Normandy. I think a lot of them felt that way. Right. That's, That's what a, I think of. That's the first shot. thing I think of. What I think yeah. of
1: it's humans are basically the only being on earth that we are aware of our own mortality. Yeah. It's save it, okay. The animal lovers, the pet lovers, the people who love dolphins.
2: They say elephants are.
1: Okay. There's I've heard certain that. arguments to be made on different stuff, but I think dolphins are too maybe. I just but. brought up the dolphins. Okay, I've seen dolphins. Okay. okay, I mentioned earlier scuba dive, save me the emails. For the most part, there's no other being that has as great of understanding anywhere close to how humans just understand th- their own mortality. Like we are going to die at some point. Everyone knows that. And you know, whether it's you believe in a higher being or natural selection or a combination of the two it's it's ingrained in the human psyche that to think that it that's happens to someone else because obviously never happened yeah. to you yet but you see you've seen it so you're ingrained to think that that's something else that's that that's something that happens to somebody else because i mean and this isn't a bad thing to develop. I mean, imagine if you just went around just... Worrying
2: about everything. Yeah, you wouldn't yeah. be able to do anything.
1: Yeah, There's people like that that just are freaked out. They, they always think they got oh, yeah, like, the, some the, disease and everything. It's a miserable life. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. Okay. Now there's, there's hypochondriacs everywhere right now. It's ridiculous. It's like a yeah, station of hypochondriacs.
1: So there is... That's a good thing for, that most of us don't have to deal with that like we have this natural ability to like not think about that. Like hardly ever. Most people don't most mentally healthy people don't think unless they're going through something like terminal cancer or something that's there's, there's exceptions obviously but for the most part, healthy people are n- are not thinking about this, especially young people. And that's not very good trait to have in a lot of situations In aviation, because of some of the inherent risks, that is that survival instinct, that instinct that's making you enjoy your life because you're not worried about constantly dying, that's working against you a lot in aviation. So I think that's why they added that in here. Is there anything you guys could add onto that? or
0: Got to have a healthy respect for your mortality. That's what makes you conservative, and that's what makes you second guess a lot of the other, all these other hazardous attitudes. Anything else that would drive you towards getting in that plane and taking off or trying to land in, you know, crap weather, that invulnerability, if we can conquer that, that takes care of a lot of the other ones. Yeah. A lot of the other hazardous attitudes. I mean. For sure.
1: And this is, I've mentioned this, I believe, on this program before. It is ironic how the younger you are, the more risk prone you are. Versus Mm -hmm. which seems backwards if you think about it logically, because when you're younger, you have the most to lose as far as like years left to live.
2: Like years. Yeah. And then when you you should be taking the more risk when you're older, because I'm like, you die, you already lived a decent life. But when you're young.
1: Yeah. So logically, if you're going to be more risk adverse at some period of your life, logically, you would do it towards the end when you don't have that much left anyway. But it's for some reason, this is wisdom Humans are completely opposite, you know, generally speaking. Just an interesting thing to think about. Sure is. Yeah. Uh, antidote FAA's solution. Uh, you say it could happen to me. Uh, yes, it there. could. There's, there's solutions.
2: a lot of things that happen to you, though.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's one. I would say we had, Scott and I had that a little bit back in the day. (laughs) Yeah. The invulnerability aspect with some of the stuff we did. Yeah. Uh, Combined with the next one, number four, Scott and I certainly had, and uh, this is probably one uh, I struggle with a little bit still today, is uh, Macho. The Macho Hazardous Attitude. They say uh, pilots who are always trying to prove that they are better than anyone else think I can do it. I'll show them pilots with this type of attitude. will try to prove themselves by taking risks in order to impress others. While this pattern is thought to be a male characteristic. Women are equally susceptible. I don't know. if they're,
2: I, I'd be interested Whoa. to see statistics. I, I think Bob, Hey, what? hold on a minute. What did you just identify genders? This is a this is a twenty it's a twenty sixteen. This,
1: this, this is a it's a twenty sixteen publication that I'm sure yeah, that's yeah. This I'm is sure twenty twenty-one,
2: Bob. We're not we don't Pilots, Okay. okay. Pilot okay. Sandbook of
1: Aeronautical Knowledge. I'm,
2: I'm gonna have to put a pause on this because we do not we do <laughs> not identify genders.
1: Okay. This is the FAA-H-8083- 25 B is I'm reading out of so the FA,
2: I'm sure. Well, whoever wrote that is you. definitely getting fired. Yeah, so
1: good luck to you, Man. whoever
2: wrote that. Your uh, um, career is toast. <laughs> All right. They will also <laughs> be blocked from they will also be blocked from Twitter and Facebook forever.
1: Facebook. <laughs> All right. Um back to Macho. Praise, uh, uh,
2: but praise President Chi. Oh god.
1: Um Macho. You and I have definitely struggled with this, Scott. Lee, yeah. you a little bit back in the day too.
0: Yeah, I know I've done them all. Yeah. Oh,
1: I mean I we almost had a, we almost yeah. had an axe to grind back in the day. Right. With like proving you know that do? we could like we could land a plane better than anybody was our yeah. <laughs> was yeah. our uh our desired wannabe reputation, I think.
0: So what I would say is, I used to think about the, the machismo like that as well. Just like machismo, I think is what they say. I don't know, but
2: machismo,
0: like, oh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I think so. I think that, yeah, machismo. I don't know. It's some, it's some subset of this concept. But I used to, I used to think like the best I can land an airplane. That, that's what makes a good pilot. And then, like now. All I want to do is not break, it, break any regulations. I try to pretend like the FAA is in the airplane whenever I'm flying. And it's distracting. It's distracting sometimes. And if I try to like not pay attention to one ray... I try to
2: pretend like the FAA doesn't exist when I'm flying.
0: I get that, but your <laughs> livelihood doesn't depend on it. And let me tell you, it hasn't made me any friends. And it has made me screw up more things than often because I'm trying to follow the rules while also keeping the other person I'm flying with happy as well. So I'm like second guessing, like, okay, what, you know, what is this person going to do? And you'd think like with all my flight time, whatever, that I'd be able to balance these things. And at the airlines, not so big a deal because everybody's pretty well on the same page. But like, once you get to other forms of flying in my more recent flying career, you have a, a very different uh, backgrounds of people um, and and their, their desire to adhere to certain regulations over others and there's some common sense involved as well but it, I can boil that down and I can say the common sense says just follow all the rules why break any of them when it's just as easy to follow them why break them that's my stance I like to look back on a flight and be like man I was a true professional today, and now, like, when I try and balance common sense with following rules, I, you know, I drop the balls often, you know, every flight, multiple times in a flight, and it drives me nuts, but I am trying to balance, you know, real-life expectations of other crew members, passengers, and the regulations, which is sometimes tough to do. So a lot of the the machoism, machismo, whatever you want to call it, a lot of that has kind of been beat out of me. I just try to I just try to follow the rules and keep people happy. The landings, yeah, I try to do a good landing, but it's not in my mind anymore. That's what makes a good pilot or the shortest landing or whatever. None of that matters that much to me anymore.
1: I still like to get a good flare and then grease it in. I just always something about that always puts a smile on my face. Being able to do it consistently.
0: Yeah. Well, I agree, but comes comes sit with me in the airplane and I mean look at what I'm trying to look at and see what you think. Yeah, you. Which I would love. You're different. You're not.
1: You're not flaring the Learjet in like you do a normal plane. You got a procedure you got to do with that thing. You know what I mean? It's just, it's different, completely different ops for the most part. Put yourself back in a, in a cub and you're going to be right there with me. Like, yeah, everything else is important, but you do want to at the end, just grease that landing. It's even better when someone else sees it.
0: Yeah. I mean, the regulations have taken the forefront. The regulations have just completely superseded everything else that I ever thought before. Like I'm not even the same person. It sucks. It's taking all the fun out of flying i was
1: um i thought a little bit i was never i won't say i honored everything to a t back in the day um it was always very safe and very meticulous when let's say i was bending something like i it was definitely it was not impulsive in that realm. This doesn't really fall into the macho because this this story I'm going to tell. But it was because I don't think I've ever told anybody this. So, Um, well, maybe you guys, I, I had this obsession. I was going to land the boat. We talk about the islands of Lake Erie a lot. And uh, do you guys remember back when I was obsessed with West sister
2: Island? I remember yes. we flew over it. Was that yeah. your idea? Yeah. We well, three, oh, yeah. I was, It had been. No
1: yeah, that yeah. was one of the reconnaissance missions. I went on several by myself afterwards.
2: Oh, okay, out there. Yeah. With, it was not really, I mean, it's not really that exciting. I'm not not sure
0: what you were that interested in, but I think it's. I am still excited about it. I wanted to
1: run the inflatable there and land it, so I could say I stepped foot on West Sister. Was I had this. This—I don't know if I call it a goal, but this just desire to like stand on another lake area. or
2: something. You just need a really, really calm day. Oh yeah. And like 15 hours. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've—I've
1: obviously—I've obviously been on Kelly's Putin Bay, Middle Bass, North Bass, uh, Peely Island, Rattlesnake. There's this a Starve Island off of Putin Bay. It's just this rock out there but I've stood on that and like some other random small ones that are like tech. I don't know if they're technically islands. They're dry spots when it's calm that you can bring a boat out to and stand on. If you boat can get into where it's shallow. So I wanted to add West sister to the, to the mix. And so you can Google maps this, if you're being a map, this, if you want Uh West sister Island in Lake Erie. And I was, so I went over, I was trying to just do like recon and I was getting closer and closer. to I don't even know if this is break. I don't even think it was breaking a law, but it was just not super safe normally. But I remember like I would go, I would have a plan before I go out there. Like, okay, this is the altitude I'm going to be set at and try to maintain before I take my eyes off of concentrating on the altimeter. And then I would go do that. and wouldn't be close enough. So like, I would just fly back and think about it for like next week. Like okay, that went well. If The conditions are like this. You know, I'll go down to like, you know, the next lower notch of altitude because that was totally okay, and like I was very methodical about
2: it. I never would have thought that much about it. Oh yeah, I would. Have, I would have just flown over it. I don't. Well, going lower like that, I don't.
1: I don't do that spontaneously. I always put a lot of thought into that when I'm doing something stupid like that. Uh,
2: I remember flying with you about, uh, I won't say the altitude, off the water around all of the Lake Erie Islands. And it definitely wasn't planned out. We just did it. I had done that before, and we weren't that low. Uh, I was pretty low. I don't know where you were at, but we were pretty low. Okay. Well, anyway... (laughs) We we're 500 feet from persons or property. <laughs> I mean, we were. Fi- yeah, we were definitely 500 feet from persons or property, but there was not a lot of planning going on there. It was. It was very, very spontaneous.
1: Yeah. So well, that's exceptions. Overall, I was very meticulous about I'm just, that stuff. I'm,
2: I'm not trying to poke holes in your your story here. I'm just saying, like, I don't think you've always been that cautious about it because it's definitely we been that. Set-
1: we were at several hundred feet. Not that that's a safe operation. But...
2: Uh, I don't think we were at several hundred feet. Uh... Uh, I I wasn't at several hundred feet. <laughs> I don't know where yeah, you were at, but I don't know about you. Yeah, I can't speak for you. Me and me and person who I shouldn't who I won't name. Who don't was even, my...
1: don't even give the context. Cause the context, I know the context. Don't even okay. leave, leave the context yeah. out. Even. I won't leave even the give the context,
2: but somebody else was in my plane. And me and that person were not, not following.
1: Okay. But, so yeah. I, I remember my altitude for that. I was at, I was at an altitude that was not that low for stuff I was doing back in the day. And I, would relatively decent amount of time buzzing around lower at that time, lower than I'd be comfortable with right now. Cause I haven't done it in way, way many years. But like, I was not that low. Like I remember I'd gone that low, like a couple weeks prior. Like that wasn't a, yeah, that wasn't abnormal for me back in the day. Or like, when uh, I was trying must- to evaluate. When I was trying to evaluate West Sister, I was getting pretty low because I was trying to find a landing spot for the dinghy so I could get it out there and add another island to my list. And I was very super methodical about that.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I, I just I remember we were extremely low. I don't know what you were in it. Obviously you were in your own plane, so I don't know what you were at, but I've been on some low flights over the ice with people I'm not I wasn't flying. And so I, Well I wouldn't do it over I wouldn't do it. I would not have done it over the ice. I wouldn't have done it over the ice. This was in the uh, summertime.
1: Yeah, this was quite an experience I did. I, I didn't do it. I was just a, I was a passenger. Uh it was yeah. there was one I was the only person in the plane. I was sitting in the right seat. And it, it wasn't even an aircraft I was qualified to fly um with my ratings was a twin and this gentleman was on the deck over the ice and it was the sensation of speed i have not felt because you don't get that over water yeah when you're going low over the water like that you get a little bit
2: but but probably not as much yeah with the
1: ice there's so much different Texture to different sections. You can really see how much ground you're covering. And this particular airplane was way faster than the 150, so I that was also added to it as well. But I digress. This is a good this is a good segment for encouraging people to avoid hazardous attitudes. So far, hasn't it? Yes. this a little sidetracked.
0: Yeah. Very. Yeah. yeah FA is going to put you know some excerpts from this conversation in their next book.
2: It's not making anybody yeah. curious. It's not making anybody curious as to to what they can do.
1: No, a, but I look back out of all the time we spent. You really think about it, it wasn't that much that we did this. No, you know what I mean. No,
2: yeah. I mean we probably didn't break any laws. I mean, we no, it's just. It's just, it's just not very smart. It's just yeah, dumb. Definitely dumb. Yeah, yeah. It's dumb, but but legal. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Stupid's not illegal in a lot of cases.
0: It's legal because the only person you're going to hurt is yourself.
2: I mean, well, right. It's well, unless you got a passenger with you, which would still yeah, be legal. Got other people. That's true. But. That's true. I mean, which is another smoke, which is smoking's dumb, but it's still legal. Same concept,
0: right? Yeah, same with wearing your seatbelt. I don't know. Not right. macho, you know. I always wear my seatbelt. Don't tell me or I can do it.
1: Don't be dumb. Cuz you get older and you look back and you're like the story to tell is not worth the stupidity. Uh take it from at least myself. I feel like Scott's semi on the same page. Lee definitely. Semi. It's just it's just dumb. Not fully. <laughs> uh the the FA's antidote for this is taking chances is foolish. Which that antidote it it makes you want to break the macho mm-hmm. rule. That uh, I don't know what it triggers in me. It's just uh, I don't know. A better antidote that's worked for me and maybe you'll find it helpful audience is think of macho man by the village people. Oh, that's terrible. If there is anything that can make you not want to be macho,
2: that's terrible.
1: Go listen to that song. You will, you will want to not be macho at all. Yeah. Ever yeah. For the rest of your life. Okay. I'm going to the,
2: sure the village people.
1: Yes. There's the, there.
2: I will stop right there.
1: Taking chances is foolish, FAA. When you redo this book to include other things Mr. Boris has mentioned, just put um, "listen to village people, macho man" as yeah. the antidote, and that'll that will probably help ninety percent of people who are typically inclined to be macho.
2: And like I said, um, the village, the village people. We'll move on. Resignation. Stop Stop right there. <laughs>
1: what? Resignation. Let's wrap this up. I feel like we might be able to get this in a reasonable freaking time thing when I edit half the stuff out. Um, this is their phraseology is what's the use? Uh, Pilots who think what's the use do not see themselves as being able to make a great deal of difference in what happens to them. When things go well, the pilot is apt to think that it was good luck. When things go badly, the pilot may feel that someone is out to get them or attribute it to bad luck. The pilot will leave the action to others for better or worse. Sometimes such pilots will even go along with unreasonable requests just to be a nice guy. Or a girl?
2: Yeah, that sounds. That sounds. Somebody. Uh, if you like that, you probably just shouldn't fly. That's you. Out of the five, this
1: everyone has. I think everyone has a, some of these to some extent. This is probably um, uh, myself and Mr. Boris. I know for sure the probably our least thing we fall into.
2: Yeah, if if that's the way you feel, you probably just just. Shouldn't be a pilot.
1: I don't. I don't know if I would say that, but it's it can be a dangerous trait.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, if you're a pilot and a pushover, and like you have people around you, basically. you know what I mean. It, it yeah. can be a recipe for disaster to not be able to take that authority and be like, "No, we're not doing that. I don't care. We're not. You know what I mean? Like I'm comfortable doing that. I know Scott doesn't care." No. Lee, you care about stuff so much. I know you can you basically are trying to control the situation at all times. You're not really apt to have outside forces influence you a whole lot in your decision making process when you're operating aircraft.
0: No, there's but there's a lot I would say, and not not anything, you know, against you guys, but there's a lot more factors, you know, at the airline level. The, you know, corporate flying or, you know, commercial, any type of commercial flying, there are a lot more external factors um, that are trying to, you know, that are molding your decision-making process. So you're always juggling all of these uh, attitudes, and one of them may bring about another hazardous attitude cropping up. So, you know, it's kind of like whack-a-mole, you know, really. It's just like, hey, this is this is driving my thought process here. And but oh, but if I gone too far, am I now into Machuism, you know, where that, you know, I, I can handle this weather or I can handle this airplane. Well, no, 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 hold on. I need to I need not be so impulsive to try and get the job done. I need to think about this. Now I'm not real I've never flown this airplane, I've not much time in this airplane. The weather's kind of crummy. So it's it's just you know, you're going through this. This is these are kind of a a little bit of a footprint for a, a mental, you know, you're working through a a scenario. You'll have all these crop up and it's you have to deal with them. And it takes time to be able to do it, I think. I found. Yeah, work through the hazardous attitudes. You're gonna you're gonna they're gonna come up maybe multiples on one given flight, addressing one. Element one external factor may take you through a range of emotion that spans these hazardous attitudes, and it takes time. It is an acquired skill, um, and sometimes you you'll make the bad decision to learn how to you know how to address the hazardous attitude, and it's how it's having the stick and rudder skills like we talked about before. The balance have the stick and rudder skills that can kind of save you if your aeronautical decision-making is maybe lacking and it is your instructor's job or your mentor's job or a combination thereof to get you to that, that ability for one strength to maybe soften, you know, the gradient uh, for one of your weaknesses until you can be around enough and see enough and get exposure to enough that you have a more refined, you know, uh, aeronautical decision making model, in, you know, internally in your head and uh, your decision making process, and how you work through and how you choose to work through and weigh all the variables in these ha- hazardous attitudes. It takes time.
1: Yeah, for sure. Resignation. Before we wrap this up, that is, Scott said the point of you shouldn't be a pilot if you have like that resignation quality when this is obviously this is one of the five, it's the last of the five, but they put this in here for a reason. What's, what are your thoughts on specifically the, the resignation aspect of it? You'd mentioned the airlines, how it's hard as you've got schedules and professional stuff, but maybe it'd speak more towards, have you ever had this like just for fun flying? Cause Scott and I, it's all fun flying for us pretty much.
0: Is like, I see that as like my interpretation is you feel like you can't make a difference in the outcome. And so, you know, there's certain things you can take that in every segment of the flight, obviously, has its own issues and external factors. And before takeoff is probably one of the more critical ones because that's the only one you can really postpone indefinitely is taking off. So, if you have, you know, resignation and, and you're allowing external factors, which I think is what you're driving at. If you have external factors that are pushing you to take off or take some of these other risks um, and you're resigning yourself to say, you know, what's the use of arguing with someone, my boss, my wife, air traffic control, whatever it is, I don't think any of those are valid. I, I mean, you have, those are the people, if you can't stand up when you see a potential safety margin, a reduction, if you can identify that, and maybe that's another problem. If you can't identify that, that's a problem in itself. Definitely don't be flying, but if you can identify that. And then you can't really you know, dig in deep and be like, no, we're it, the, the margin is too small. The safety margin is, is too small we're just going to delay the takeoff or whatever we're going to do. If you can't do that, I would agree with Scott hundred percent. That's a quality you can't have, but in terms of, you know, ever thinking that no matter what you can do or, or do you mean Rob, that like the schedule, the airline, the, the flight must go on. Is that kind of what you mean in terms of what I, I don't have any really any say is that, is that what you're getting at? I guess that would, help me
1: that was i mean I, I was just talking in general resignation it's there's a lot of different avenues that i maybe i didn't think of when i was reading through this before we started talking that you can go down with that that resignation uh, when i was thinking of as more of just passive attitude but yeah you're adding some good points as far as those external pressures and stuff and it's yeah it's it, it can be difficult especially in, in like the passive
0: co- passive attitude
1: yeah just not by, by passive attitude i mean like oh it's there's a snowstorm there but you know uh, what you know what am i gonna do like i i don't know i guess i was i guess no, thinking about yeah, it differently than, it that way at all. than what you thought yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting yeah, no, I don't. go ahead
0: yeah sorry yeah yeah we got a lag. I I apologize yeah it's I yeah I don't take resignation that way at all I see resignation as just summing it up in my own words as not thinking anything you do will make a difference and I can see kind of the the avenue you're taking like it's an airline there's a snowstorm Yeah, that air, that that guy just took off well there goes another one well I guess I should go too that is I guess the avenue that, that maybe you're looking at a little bit and I would I kind of agree with you in that in that context um, that, that 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 is a, an external factor. What is everybody else doing? How am I going to explain to dispatch or my chief pilot why I you know said no, we can't take off right now when every uh, everybody else is taken off? I guess I can see the resignation or the, the the feeling of nothing you can do will will make a difference. I can see that. Um, but where I think you're saying you want to take off or you're going to take off just because everybody else did, um, I don't know exactly which one that c- kind of falls into, either between invulnerability and the ma- machoism. Um, it's probably more one of those than I would say resignation because you're like well if they can do it I can do it where resignation I kind of feel like is like well they're doing it so I guess I should do it you're you're there you're that's the passive attitude aspect of it which I I think I 100% agree with you and it's maybe a subtle shift but I think I think I think you're onto something there for sure but I think that's more likely if that guy can do it I can do it so that's invulnerability or, you know, it's not going to happen to me or the macho, which it, I can do it. You know, the this airplane is super capable. I'm a proficient pilot. We can fly through anything. And that may not always be the case. I think it would fall more towards that. I think
1: of, we won't mention any names or professions. There's a gentleman at an airport up in northern Ohio he kept his plane at. Who he was just kinda like he, he was successful. Um, I won't say what. He was a very successful guy, but he was just kinda quiet, kinda like passive. And he his wife was uh she said what was gonna go on. Um basically, and she wasn't really a pilot. And I would see those two I, I I'd known, their, I'd known their kids, so I, I was at the house a little bit too before I ever, before he even became a pilot, so I'd saw it at, in their home situation too, so I maybe observed this more than you guys did, but I saw him take off sometimes from like, that's just because she wants to go somewhere right now. What the hell is he doing go, taking off in this situation? That's an example where I think of like the resignation, where really? it's just like, yeah. Okay. I'll mention the, name. I'll mention the, you can think about it. I'll tell you who after we're done recording, but that's what I think of.
0: When, yeah. Uh, and <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. I mean, I think I, but I always go back to how did it, the way you are conveying it, you're hundred percent. Right. I think in my, in the terms that I would interpret that situation is like, she does not, yeah, she has, maybe not, doesn't have the proverbial gun in her hand, you know, up to his head. I mean, can't he explain? He's the pilot. He knows. How can he not, you know, explain that to her? And that plays exactly into, I guess, what you were saying as well in that aspect. But he's just not weighing the the risks correctly, in my mind if it truly was not safe, yeah. maybe he, maybe he's like, oh, she really wants to go. And I guess it's really not that bad, but that's another hazardous attitude popping up. I can do it. Matuism. It might be a very soft, subtle. I worked at an airport and,
2: uh, there was some passengers that were really angry that the pilot said they weren't going to fly him to the where they wanted to go because of the weather. And they were bitching at him. Basically, you know, they were, Pretty upset, yelling at him, you know, mm-hmm. saying that they had, you know, things planned and scheduled, whatever, family get together. And uh it was like really like the sky was like complete black and it was like bad weather moving in. He was like he was he was messing with them basically. He was like, All right, let's go. He's like, get in the plane. He's like, i he's like, you wanna he's like, Well we'll give it a shot, see what happens, you know. They Flew into this like completely black cloud. You know, they turned right around after that and came back in and landed. They didn't go any further than that. But I, I feel like he was just like showing them like, you really want to do this? Like, no, you don't, you know?
0: In a scenario like that. I mean, it, it does, it does, it does help. There's so many situations that, that I've seen previously where people undermine, they have, they feel like, you're new and they've done more flying than you. So they know better. They, Oh, I've flown in worse. We've been in worse, blah, blah, blah. We've been doing this for forever. And it's like, you haven't seen this. So if you think, you know, better, let's go try it. And next time you're going to think better. You were trying to give them aeronautical decision-making capability. And that is in certain, you know, um, Air carrier operations. I'm, I imagine up in Alaska, this is a very prevalent concept. You have to instill in them, you know, some aeronautical decision making. It's not worth it, people. No matter what you're going to go do, if I tell you it's not, believe me, I want to get you out of here as bad as you want to get out of here. So don't tell me what is safe and what isn't. If I tell you it's not safe, you need to trust it, you know, and but. You know, and I I think that that was probably played well by that individual. I don't know how well they handled it from a bedside manner standpoint, but. That's too,
1: it's the situation usually doesn't allow that. It's got to be such a unique situation where you can safely go scare somebody like that and still know you're not going to be in trouble.
2: Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure the pilot. I'm talking about knew that like he could scare them and still make it back to the, the base airport safely. But
1: yeah, because there's probably, there's way more situations where you just, that would, that option would not have been on the table to even do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, that's interesting though. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my basic summary of those five hazardous attitudes
2: i think we uh, killed Lee, you
1: already did a summaration earlier yeah mm-hmm. mr mm-hmm. boris you got uh, anything before we go
2: i have anything to add
1: all right we got a five star review like i re- pulled up my email here man i'm behind on email uh if you emailed me and i haven't gotten back to you recently this is beginning of january uh, i do feel bad about it um jimmy z five stars wow three exclamation points just wow three exclamation points greatest aviation podcast ever love listening to these guys learn something from every episode the information provided is very easily digestible from the different perspectives of the three presenters um thank you i feel like jimmy z gets it you know what i mean yeah, it
2: does i like jimmy he, z
1: jimmy z gets it i feel like so jimmy z shout out um <laughs> some, people some people
2: don't understand that the dynamic we have here but i think jimmy z is
1: <laughs> i think jimmy z understands
2: yeah
1: so, thanks uh, thanks for the five star review <laughs> we do appreciate it um email is our preferred method of communication my email is f-a-r-a-m at robertberger.com spelled b-e-r-g-e-r the german way not the sandwich way mr Griffin is f-a-r-a-i-m at lee.griffin.com, g-r-i-f-f-i-n-g and scott is f-a-r-a-i-m at scott boris.com b-o-r-e-s and uh, once again thank you for listening hope you got something out of this shoot us an email if you have a comment concern question we'd love to hear from you guys and gals and uh we'll see you on the next one thanks
2: thanks guys see ya I don't wear i I don't wear my seatbelt in my truck because it doesn't have one of those stupid beeper things that beeps the whole time. But if I'm in my wife's vehicle, it beeps the whole time, so you have to put it on.
0: Yeah, I think you're an idiot for not wearing your seatbelt. That's, I don't it's just, even just dumb, it's just dumb, Scott.
1: Well, it might be. I don't even think about putting my seatbelt but on. That's you're right. Like it was, it's not a. Cu- Totally, it's not a conscious thing.
2: I just do it. No, yeah, yeah, I do in in my wife's vehicle. I do. It's not even conscious. I just do it. But in my truck, I've never done it, and I never will. It's just, it's, I just don't
0: think about it. That is so weird.
2: You
1: put a grand total of like th- three miles a month on your vehicle,
2: though. So, well, that's true. It's not.
1: That's, yeah, and half of that's
2: driving around the I, airport. I've put about 50,000 miles on my truck since 2006. I bought it in 2006 and I've put 50,000 miles on it. <laughs> yeah.
1: And, and how wow. many of those are not even leaving your property?
2: Well, yeah. A lot of those aren't leaving the property. They're driving around the airport. And a lot of them are just letting people borrow my truck where it wasn't even me driving it. So... You literally drive the least out of anyone I know. Oh, yeah. I don't drive anywhere.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is pretty far off topic.
1: At least you're minimizing your exposure.
2: That's true. Like last year, I drove less than like a thousand miles. Way less than a thousand miles. Wow.
1: All right. Macho. Macho. um, Carbon footprint. Macho is uh, not good. This is nice being back in the old software though, because it's like,
0: I love it. I love I,
1: it. Well, I just like it because I know how to run this software so well. I don't have to concentrate on it, so I can be more present in the episodes. Like this will be the first episode of the 2021 season where I can actually be f- more present, because like I have very little to do to run the actual software behind the scenes. But we'll get we'll get like that with the new software. though, once we figure it out, and I get a better computer and better
0: internet um well hold on so hold on is your voice you seem like is you're you're responding almost real time okay yeah i would say that's almost real time scott maybe the voice is fine it's just the video is
2: off the video that's what i'm thinking say something immediately when i say say go oh say okay so as soon as i say go say something go go
0: yeah that's instant. go
2: go
1: go stop go wow okay go. Yeah. The, okay YouTube your that's
2: videos are too weird.
1: bad I'll, I'll just point okay i'll point like that
0: okay but the video that, is that, lagged the the that feels threatening
2: bob you're yeah. playing at me that feels it's a little intimidating it's a little threatening i don't know a little bit violent
0: it's hard to make this organic when we have these technical issues. I know it. But I tell you what, the Cox is great. Now, that used to be. That used it? to be. Go ahead.
1: Go ahead. No, no, no. Go. I was just gonna say. I. I, I landing it.
0: Wow.
2: That flag is a little to. off.
0: It's bad. Yeah. Well, yeah. Flag, flag is. is.
2: <laughs> it's, I know. Somebody go. But, yeah, well, We're, that's you like you like everything's like five seconds off right now.
0: Okay, let me. I guess I wonder though. Remember, a lot of the shit we listen to is on AM radio stations. You know what I mean. So it's like, you know, in a car, wind noise, people, you know, on their commute. I don't know how super critical it is.
1: No, it's it's for the most part, but it's something that I I like. I agree with you. I agree with you. I, hundred percent, hundred percent. I don't know if you guys ever listen. I started this mid-season last year. So I don't know when I started it, but I upgraded. I pay more per month. I'm putting out um, stereo audio, so that not only the music we put in, it's actually stereo. If you if you're listening to it with the ability to hear stereo,
0: I've yeah, I haven't. Whenever I've listened, I've listened. I have listened in the car, but I guess I didn't really, I guess maybe that, I don't know. Well,
1: well, a touch, you probably not notice, it's subtle, it's not something I'm hoping people like know, I'm like, oh man, I want to make it obvious, it's just a little subtle thing I add to with the stereo effect.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Our voices are offset, um, uh, based on our name order, so last season you were always a little more in the left ear, Scott was center, and I was more, a little bit more in your right ear,
0: Oh, that's cool.
1: And then this season, if you most people are never going to notice this, but if you do notice it like now starting 2021, Scott's a little bit more in your left ear. I'm in both, and you're a little bit more in the right ear, because that's the name order of the, Yeah, I love it. I love it's, it.: It's just little details I, I throw in there in the edit that nobody most people don't notice it, but
2: I didn't realize I like that. To have
1: it. Perfect. Yeah, huh. Well, you're not going to notice it unless you're listening to it in stereo.
2: Yeah, uh, I didn't know you could even do that. It's so. a nice touch, very nice yeah. touch. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty sweet.